Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the long-awaited episode three of the Studio Local podcast creation is crazy. My name is Andrew Allen, and I am unfortunately your host. Uh, it has been a while since the last episode was dropped. A lot has happened. Uh, a lot of not quite drama, but but things have happened that I'll go ahead and address right off the bat. A uh, little bit of an, an announcement, but uh, I am delaying the release of the film again till what looks like spring now of 2017. If you are really tuned in to what I have been putting out and also are semi-knowledgeable about how feature films are released, then you, you probably already figured that. You knew that if I was going to release a film, specifically an independent film, then there would be a trailer and a poster and screening dates and times and not essentially a month-long hiatus in any kind of marketing and web presence in general right before the release. No, when the film is released, I will be whoring myself out. Uh, you will know. It will be annoying. It'll be kind of like a fireworks show. And uh, what I'm doing right now, it's the beginning of the show. It's very leisurely and you know you can you can notice it or you can't. Uh, you can just treat it as ambiance, or you can enjoy uh, the beauty that is before you. But when you get to the grand finale, there's so much happening that I will demand that at least everyone I know at least acknowledge that uh, there's a fireworks show going on. There's a film coming out. But we are not to that point. And, and there are two reasons for why that's the case. The main one, uh, there's a piece of music that I view as vital to the film. And I've been trying for months to get the rights to this piece of music and, and the publishers and the label have not been super cooperative in, in helping me get these rights. And uh, we still have one party up in the air that hasn't granted me a, a license to have this music in, in the film. Uh, so I'm still waiting on that. You know, it's been f four months of, of working with these people. Uh, and not only that, but this piece of music is really expensive. And I knew it would be expensive, but I didn't know it would be this expensive. And, and if I did pay all of the fees right now that I would need to, then I would be bankrupt and then some. And I've done that in the past. I've gone broke for this movie twice. And I do it again. But uh, that is not ideal. It, it kind of ruins your life for, for a couple of months. There's just no room to breathe. And something that I've learned over the course of making this film is don't go into battle already wounded. You, you'll probably lose. So, so it just didn't feel quite right to, uh, to go ahead now. Um, which leads me to my second point. When I decided that self-distribution was going to be the path that was right for GLOW, then I made some lofty, albeit attainable, goals uh, that were going to be how I define success uh, over 
distributing this film. And I, one of those goals was uh, to get 10,000 or more people to see the film in a theater. That was important to me. And by my estimations, if I released the film this fall as planned, closer to 2,000 people would have seen it. You know, one-fifth of what I set out to do. That's not success. That's, uh, that's a massive failure. And you might be saying, well, don't be so hard on yourself. You know, that's, that's a really hard thing to do. Okay, well, what's your point? It, it doesn't matter how hard things are. Labeling your attempt at something as a failure, if it doesn't work, is necessary to keep you fighting, to keep you getting better, to keep you realistic. It doesn't make you a loser, and that's something I have to preach to myself every day, but it doesn't mean you've won yet either. And that's my goal. Whatever it, game it is that I'm playing, I, I want to win. Now, it's, it's one thing if you don't belong in a game. Uh, if I was a small man, let's say 5'7", who was trying to play professional basketball and getting nowhere, I would hope that one of my friends somewhere along the way would say, listen, man, this isn't your game. So go play something else that you're passionate about and win at that. You know, sometimes knowing when to cut your losses and move on should be looked at as just as admirable as the utmost tenacity and, and perseverance. Wisdom is a more precious commodity than energy, especially when you're a young man like me. That said, that doesn't apply to my situation. I've completed a really ambitious film that's good and moving and a genuinely unique piece of entertainment. I'm not off my rocker thinking I can get 8,000 more people to show up and watch this thing. I'm just not. So this is this is the right decision. This is what I had to do. And if that really disappoints you, then I'm sorry I couldn't follow through with the expectations that I uh, laid out yet again. But, but just have faith in, in me that I'm still working hard and uh, I'm still gonna you know, ultimately do what's right for the movie. Now, over the coming months, uh, one of the things that I am going to approach with a lot of urgency is to chip away at the following because that's ultimately what's gonna get the 8,000 more people in the theater. Uh, our following right now is not horrible but it's not where it needs to be either. And it, that's mostly my fault because shooting and editing these episodes and trying to make a living and working with a few other people and creating some other GLOW-related content uh, was overwhelming me and, and it was exhausting me and I, and I got behind. So I get it. If, if I didn't get behind, if I had released a super beautiful, snazzy, website and uh, released a great trailer, we definitely would have gotten a boost from that, but the base still needs to be bigger, or else that content is just going to get incestuously passed around 600, 800 people 
and, and then it'll die a sad death on the internet. It's so important that there's a base to start from because you can't expect everybody to share everything. You just can't. Now, here's what needs to happen so that when a trailer is released, it actually goes places. When I do announce screening dates, mass numbers of people do click on the link to buy a ticket. Uh, I need to keep on making these shows. I'll be shooting for an every other week release schedule from now until when we finish the season, and I will do my absolute best to stick to that. No more hiatuses. Uh, I need to get a PR person, which I'm working on right now, to get us in the media. Uh, let them know that the film exists and how and when it will be released. Uh, I need to make powerful, compelling glow content that you can post and link to. The poster is coming very soon. Uh, the revised site and the trailer is going to come soon after that. That's all on me. You. You. Need to invite your friends to like the Glow and Studio Loco pages on social media, whether through personal or impersonal means. Be a little bit annoying for one day on social media. We have to build that base. You need to pass this show on to your two people that I mentioned in episode one. Has every one of you listeners that's enjoyed episodes one and two pass this on to two specific friends, whether through email or text or a conversation or just link them on social media and say, dude, subscribe to this show. You'll like it. You can subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, and now iTunes. We are on iTunes. Uh, you need to not be so shy. If you like an episode or have something to say, positive or negative, about what I'm doing, I appreciate personal messages and texts, uh, but don't do that unless it involves personal information. Do it publicly for all to see. Create some chatter. It's impossible to be a part of the conversation if there's no conversation happening. And, and help make friends with each other in a distant, internet-y kind of way. You know, converse. Right now, the people that follow what I do kind of resemble a sad middle school party where the guys are on one side of the gym and the girls are on the other, and nobody's dancing. Interact. Go up to other friends of Studio Loco and start moving your hips. It, it will do a world of good. Yes, I'm marketing a film with this show, but I'm also doing something else that is more community-driven. I'm taking a stand for what I believe will benefit cinema and art and society as a whole in highlighting the direction that I believe things need to go in from a creativity standpoint. We're experiencing a slow and painful death in cinema, in particular, right now in our consumption of crappy versions of things that have already been made. And you are the cure to this disease if you'd let yourselves be. Changes in the air. There have been bombs aplenty. And this industry can either double down on franchises and reboots and sequels as the only types of films that they view as marketable to mass audiences, or you can prove to them that they're wrong, that there are still a lot of people out there who value original entertainment 
and you can save yourselves from a decade or more of crappy movies right now by intentionally supporting artists over brands and properties and nostalgia. That's what we have in common. That's what we should bond over. I'm assuming you feel the same way in some regard if you're listening. This is exciting. This is a fight. The release of my super ambitious micro-budget movie is a very small part of that fight, but it is part of it. It's something that you can latch onto and do right now. So I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to give us as a community an icebreaker that hopefully isn't super lame. I want you to give me a film that changed your life and why. Something that made you think about life or a certain topic or movie making or art in general differently. Doesn't have to be a high art movie. Doesn't even have to be one of your favorites per se. Just something that blew your mind and expanded your perspective a bit and made you see what movies can do. So send me those posts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or comment on YouTube with the hashtag, the film that changed my life. And ideally mention El Studio Loco at EL Studio Loco, and I will review and discuss your answers in two weeks on the show. I know what I love and what moves me, so I'm genuinely interested in seeing where you're coming from too, because I usually have no idea what other people like or why. So this will be educational for me, if nothing else. All right, on uh, today's show, I'm discussing what I did to come up with the majority of the budget to finance the film, along with other major pre-production efforts that went into it. And then later on, our guest is Leslie Marshall. Leslie runs her own art company here in Dallas called Articulation Art. And she is an excellent example of how to stay creative while remaining profitable, which is something that I know I could benefit from probably watching two or three more times. So you don't miss Leslie either. Uh, Check out the Dream Crusher comedy sketch in the middle of this show. Uh, I'm proud of that. And I think that's it. All right, players, let's do this thing. saw you. Why are you here again? Oh, that's right. This is the part of the show where I talk about how I made Glow. If you're just jumping in, I do recommend go back and watch the first two episodes so you know what the hell is going on. But if you're caught up, let's get it on. So I had just left off. Uh, I graduated film school with a freshly rewritten Glow script ready to go, and I was about to enter 
the workforce so I could earn half of the movie's budget myself and leave half to investors. Both proved to be more difficult than I expected. Back in 2011, when I graduated, the world was in a state of economic turmoil, which meant the job market sucked, which meant that people in the business world weren't exactly foaming at the mouth to hire a guy with a radio television film degree. So maybe I should have gone for a, a lower paying entry level job in a radio television film related company, but I figured this is short term, go for what you can make the most money with right away, which was sales for me. I had a sales job in college that I did really well at and I didn't find it too much of a drag, so it seemed like a logical decision. But I couldn't get hired. I, I did have one two week trial period with this Vietnamese guy I met on Craigslist and he, he made dental practice management software. And he said if I sold one package, which was worth about 20 grand, then I could stay on. And if I didn't, I'd be fired. He didn't tell me at the time that they hadn't sold any of these packages within the first six months of it being on the market. So I didn't take it too badly when his old assistant revealed that to me and kicked me out after two weeks. But after that, three months went by and just nothing. You know. Now that was 21 year old me. I'm sure if I tried to get hired now doing anything, then I bet I'd be way more successful. But back then I didn't know how the world worked really. I was so young, so it took me a little bit of time. That's not to say I was completely hopeless. I, I remember going on five or six second interviews, a couple third interviews, and I could just never close the deal. I think I got one offer in that summer of looking for a job and it was pitiful. I just couldn't accept it. Till one day, there was a pretty promising job that came up with somebody that I knew very distantly, but knew nonetheless, so I had an in. And I did okay in interview number one and was made an offer at the end of interview number two. I remember I made the owner of the company laugh when he asked me, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, if you wanna make God laugh, tell him your plans. And it killed. And I was in. I was selling, uh, I was selling copiers. Yeah, copiers. Xerox copiers. What, what second grader gets in front of his class on career day and says, I wanna be a, a copier salesman? It, it, it wasn't a dream job, but I was excited. I never had a, an office job before. I wanted to make some money for this movie. I was, I was amped and it started okay. You know, they do training. They want to give you the tools to succeed. They were good vibes. But the longer you are in a sales job, typically, the more toxic the environment gets. Expectations build, stress never stops. And it wasn't even just for my managers. I'd get thrown out of a building once a day. I'd get hung up on five to 10 times a day. I'd get told bold face lies by potential customers who just wanted to get rid of me constantly. And at first, it doesn't phase you. You have perseverance, you have bigger. But after a while, it'll start to beat you down. The day-to-day -day monotony doesn't help either. Early mornings, traffic, khaki pants, 
These are all things I hate. You know your life is drifting into a dark period when the sports radio DJs that you listen to during gridlock start to feel like some of your best friends. It didn't help that I also took on two part-time jobs, which in hindsight was definitely a mistake. I became very depressed after six months and struggled to do anything really with any kind of enthusiasm or efficiency. My managers could smell the melancholy on me as I walked in every day. Only this group of men mistook my fatigue and depression for smugness and disrespect. One day I came in and the owner of the agency called me into his office and asked me if I liked my job. And I answered him honestly and I said, no. And he said, okay, well, I'm gonna fire you. I wasn't above average, but not great salesman for the group there at the time. So I wasn't exactly a company asset they couldn't afford to lose. I more or less begged for my job. The three other managers then piled into the room and ambushed me, assassinated my character, called me an arrogant son of a bitch, the least religious person in the world they'd ever met, whatever that means, and that I didn't care about anybody but myself. These are all actual quotes from people that I maybe had three or four personal conversations with ever. So expert opinions. I was done. Done almost 12 months exactly from the day I was hired. I still disagree with their assessment of who I was then and who I am now, but to play devil's advocate, it's pretty easy to come off as narcissistic when you have really ambitious and or avant-garde goals from the rest of society. It makes you less relatable. So if you are one of those kinds of people with those kinds of goals, and you still wanna have positive relationships with those around you, meet them halfway, engage them, laugh at their jokes, go to lunch or get drinks with them once a week, especially if they're coworkers. If you isolate yourself, they're probably gonna think the worst of you and think that you think you're better than everybody else. At least that's what happened to me. So where to go now? I still hadn't made enough money for Glow, not even close, and I was planning on working for three more months for them and wasn't exactly killing it on the investor front. I thought about getting another job, but I thought that that would be unethical for me to get hired by somebody and get trained and then bail on them so early on. And then something part-time or short-term didn't really seem worth it to me financially. So I decided to make a short film for fun, but also as a showcase of my abilities to potential investors. I made a 15-minute horror short. Now, a career advisor or a 26-year-old Andrew would have told my younger self to maybe film a scene from GLOW really well and, and show people kind of what it's going to be, a proof of concept. Or at least make a short in the same genre as the feature that you're trying to finance. But me, I can be so cocky sometimes that I don't think I should have to spell out why my shit is good or will work. There's really no other point here, I'm just 
admitting a character flaw. I do like that horror short though. It's a cool little movie, technically flawed, but, but cool nonetheless. I'm actually writing a feature script based on that short, so it's not a complete loss, but it didn't really help me get investors. I got a couple folks, some, some family members, a couple friends, one random guy who read my website in Chicago, but never that big fish that I half expected would come along eventually. So I started to get nervous. It was December of 2012, and my initial goal was to start shooting in March or April of 2013, shoot for a couple months, edit over the summer, and submit to Sundance 2014 in the fall. So I had to make a decision. Either delay everything until I got my finances together or keep going 100 miles an hour and hope the money worked itself out. For better or for worse, I chose the latter. So I started casting and location scouting and looking at crew and good deals on equipment and everything else. And I was really, really nervous, but it was so exciting. It felt like a dream. It felt like I didn't belong there. But I guess that's probably how everybody feels until they've done it once or twice. Casting in particular was a really tough thing on this movie. As I referenced in a previous episode, there are over 80 speaking parts in this movie. And I wanted to get all unknowns, non-union actors, that requires an even keener eye for talent. So I and a young lady by the name of Carmen cast this movie together. For someone that responded to was probably like a Craigslist ad. She was a godsend. She showed up to work every weekend for months on end and helped me cast each and every part. We did calls out to Texas acting agencies, held open calls, recruited actors online, and even did some guerrilla scouting in neighborhoods, restaurants, and Walmart. And yes, there are a couple people from Walmart in this movie. I applied the same philosophy towards casting that I do towards filmmaking in general. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be interesting. This is a riff on a great quote by Frank Capra. There are no rules in filmmaking, only sins, and the cardinal sin is dullness. And I guess I find it kind of dull if everybody in a movie is kind of beautiful and looks clean cut and just has that actor look. I like people to look how they actually do in real life. All in all, for two people who had no experience in casting prior to this movie, Glow has a great ensemble and I owe that to a great collaborator. She showed up to work with enthusiasm, and that puts some much-needed fuel in my tank. So, Carmen, thank you. That said, it was a grind, and much like the rest of this movie, fell behind schedule very quickly. I refused to shoot until we had found the right actors for each part. So I was faced with a second wave of falling behind. Should I proceed with shooting with what I already had cast and had in place, or risk losing everything by delaying? And keep in mind, 
I'm still thinking in the back of my mind, if I don't come up with 10 or 15 grand by the end of production, then we're gonna go belly up. Again, for better or for worse, I chose to keep going. My mantra was that it's never gonna be perfect. You just need to keep moving forward and eventually it'll get done. Was that the right decision? I still don't know. But I will dissect both mentalities on the next episode, as well as chronicle the many war stories of shooting this damn movie. I guarantee you it will be interesting. See you next time. Son, you want me to get behind this movie, but I just don't see how you're gonna make any money with this thing. Dad, I'm telling you, this thing is gonna be a huge hit. Does this sound like you or someone you love? Then bring them to the Dream Crusher Institute for Delusional Artists, where we'll teach the artists in you how to get your head out of the clouds and back in the proverbial coal mines of modern society, like the rest of us. Here at Dream Crusher, we focus on three core areas of study. We start off with classes and self-doubt to break your spirit. You're a failure. You'll always be a failure. And remember that one time when you didn't make the soccer team in 10th grade? Well, that's going to happen again and again and again, except with your career. <laughs> All right, she's good. Next, we'll educate you on the depressing realities of your individual industry. So that means one out of 7,000 spec scripts written by professional writers is actually sold. Now, who can tell me what cause of death is more of a likely occurrence than this in North America? A fatal car crash? <laughs> Very good! And then we'll finish with a concentration in real-world rehabilitation. I'm gonna be a Yes! Push it! Push it! Push it! Yes! That's why I do this. We even offer junior classes to help keep things practical right out of the womb. Remember what we talked about? Coloring is a waste of time. You know it's not though? Tax code regulations! Oh son, wanna go see that new Quentin Tarantino film? Looks pretty dope. Dad, NASDAQ's down 20 points. I don't need this today. Yes, I said sell. Thanks, Dream Crusher. Thanks, Dream Crusher. Thanks, Dream Crusher! And thank you for being more than just a burden to the rest of us. What's it looking at, punk? Ha! I go Dream Crusher Institute. Are you crushing it? Welcome back, everybody. Uh, our guest on the show today is Leslie Marshall. She is the founder and creative director of Articulation Art, and uh, she's also another Dallas native. So uh, let's welcome Leslie to the show. Leslie, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You want to tell everybody at home what you do professionally, like in your business. Okay. so. Um, I've owned Articulation Art for the last nine years, mm -hmm. and it's based here in Dallas, and I do art consultation and design work for mostly corporate facilities, bar and restaurant, and some residential work as well. Okay. So, Corporate design work. 
Like, can you can you explain yes. a couple of the projects that you've worked on, just Definitely. to give people even an idea of what that is? So it's kind of broad what I do. Yeah. Um, there's different areas that I work in. So um, talking about like healthcare or corporate facilities and all the artwork that goes in there, hotels and things like that. And then yeah. I also work with um, bar and restaurants to do their full design and sometimes the full concept. Um, and one of the latest ones that I just finished was the Deep Ellen Brewery mm -hmm. here in Dallas. And it was a full remodel of their interior exterior um, concepts and stuff, so. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. So what kind of mediums do you typically work in, whether in your business or just in your normal creative life? So that's also a big range. Kind of starting out, um, I started out as an artist. Yeah. And I was super inspired by Basquiat. He was my favorite artist. Yeah. And a Basquiat lot of people touch. say that yes, nowadays. Yes. Um, but he was great. I was really inspired by his work because I was a very abstract artist. Mm -hmm. I was self-taught and I loved his kind of childlike drawings and his way of um, really representing large statements in a childlike way. Yeah. I felt I was able to do that and so my mediums starting out were very mixed. Okay. I used all different types of paint, charcoal, materials, things like that as an artist. And now that I've evolved into running this business, I would say I've, I've really stuck to that in a lot of areas um, where I bring that in for corporate clients. Um, and so I'll, I'll go in and try and create something that's never been made before in like a new form um, or something kind of off the cuff for the client to where it's really different and stands yeah. out from other design elements. I know a lot today when a designer goes in, you know, the client will have seen another space that they really love. Yeah. And it's kind of a copy on that. Yeah. And it's always kind of hard, like, pulling the client away from that because you do, as an artist or creative, want to have kind of a signature, like a different... Of course. ...tie-in of something that stands out and is innovative and different. Um, so I've really tried to incorporate that along with every project or client, kind of a, a signature, something new that we create that hasn't been done before. And so I would say it still really ties into being a mixed media artist, so becoming like kind of a mixed media designer. Yeah. Um, and the latest thing that I've done is, I, well, I wanted to create these giant glowing beer cans for my client that you could see from all around downtown Dallas when you pass the highways. And I thought of it as a creative sculptural way, but also it's free marketing for them and how cool to have the beer cans like floating in the air at night and glowing. And so it, it became like from the sketch phase and having to sell the client to have their beer cans floating above their facility. <laughs> it was kind of a push. Right for a while to have right. that uh, pass, but I was really excited and now that's, they're alive. That's what you dream about glow. when you're drunk. It's, yes. It's just floating, floating I was, I was yeah. so excited for that to happen. It was my dream. I have this sketch. It's like looking back, I have like the beginning sketches of me drawing the beer cans and like going to the meeting to sell them on it. They looked at me like I was crazy and it was going to be like Willy Wonka. Yes. And I was like, but everyone loves Willy Wonka. <laughs> so it happened. So Perfect. That was a long long-winded answer for you. No, you're fine. And uh, <laughs> it was it was an interesting answer in that it, it kind of sounded uh, kind of like the movie business, uh, especially today, in that every every executive 
only responds to a pitch if uh, you know why don't you why don't you make it like that you know mm-hmm. if it, if it was like the last hit mm-hmm. of whatever genre and and it is difficult for people to finance to support even as a fan I feel like fans are becoming more and more supportive of only things that they've seen you know two seconds ago and not so much having faith in individual artists and being fans of artists rather than properties rather than brands you know that's my take right no I feel the same I mean it's a constant struggle as a creative Mm -hmm. to push people out of their comfort zone yeah. Um, and and sell them on the fact that it can still be profitable. Yes. Because I think now, even with what I do every day, um, you know, at the end of the day, for the client, they need to be profitable and make money. Sure. So it's trying to balance this. You can still fulfill your creative desires and like what you're seeking or what you want to create and be able to make that profitable for a client. So it becomes this kind of weird mix of balancing in that and not giving in to exactly what the client is always wanting and just falling into their design or desire. It's also allowing yourself to still be present. Yeah. And it's a big struggle um, because it's a constant kind of battle battle yes. in that way yeah. of constantly selling yourself and and um, staying true to yourself yeah um, I deal with that daily I think I go through this roller coaster I mean I've been doing it almost nine years now and I still there will be weeks I wake up like what what am I doing this for yeah um, but then you'll have a break and you'll have a project where the client is allowing you you know a lot of creative control and you're able to bring ideas to life that you've wanted to do before. So it, it really just like boosts you again. Like, okay, this is why I do this. Yeah. You know, but it is a, it is a, a struggle to keep selling that and making it something new and innovative and that you're excited. So about. I can relate. Yeah. To that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the parallel that I'm hearing is again to the movie business. Uh, it, it kind of sounds like what you do through articulation art is, is your studio movies. You know, you're working with big companies who need to make a profit and it's not just for it's not just art for art's sake. Uh, whereas maybe the stuff that you do just for yourself is, you know, they're your indie movies mm-hmm. and uh, maybe they're a little bit harder to make because you don't have that that backing. You don't have the machine pushing you forward has to be done on this day, has to be done this specific way. It's going to get out to this audience one way or another. Uh, you know, you have to do all that marketing and you have to get people excited about it yourself. But at least you, you know at the end of the day, well, I know I'm, I'm going to be able to make what I want to make so long as I can complete it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole thing. I think when I started this business, it was to be able to make money as an artist. Like in the beginning, I didn't really know what that looked like. I just kind of started it and ran with it and learned along the way. And if I didn't know something and still to this day, if I don't know, I just Google it. (laughs) That's what I tell everyone. I'm like, if you don't know, just Google it. You'll find out, teach yourself, you know? Yeah. And, And I think that is the biggest thing too, is just 
continuing to educate yourself and like continuing to grow and be open. And one of the biggest things that I'll tell people or if they ask me, you know, what it's like running a business or that they want to be a creative and they don't know how to follow that. It's really just not being afraid to fail. Mm. That's the biggest part. It's, mm. it's not being afraid to be told no or not get that one job. You know, it's to like keep going yeah. and you're going to be judged daily and people are going to judge your creative and people are going to judge your ideas and people aren't always going to buy what you're selling. Yeah. Okay. But there are people out there that will love it and it's really just to continue to pursue that. And when I first started the business, it was more, I really had a lot of fire in me because I was told that being an artist, I wasn't going to be successful. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I had it in me to prove everyone wrong. Yeah. So in that case, it's more of like, I have a very type A personality. So it was kind of a competitive, like, thing in me that I was going to make it work or I'm going to go after it. And at that point, I felt like I had nothing to lose. Like, I finished school, I'll go, I'll start this business. If it doesn't work out, then I can go get a different job, you yeah. know? And so, and I did have to get other jobs through that process of keeping it going. Yeah. And, um, but you learn so much along. Well, what were, so before you get into yeah. that, what were some of those other jobs? I'm just curious about this. Oh my gosh. Because in this episode, then I, I talked about my experiences a copier salesman and paying my dues so that I, way. And yes. Um, I can talk a lot about that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm a worker. And so I knew if I needed to make this happen for myself, I was self-sustaining. I mean, I had to take care of myself. I didn't have any backing or anything to fall back on. So I put myself through school. Yeah. Um, through college, I worked three jobs through college. Um I bartended. Yeah. I worked at an ad agency. Nice. Um, I was painting on the side, but no one was paying me for that at that time. It was just, I was kind of giving them away. But, um, and I worked at a golf course for some time. But bartending for a long time, I was working nights and then I would work all day trying to run my business. Mm. And so it was a constant, I was always working just yeah. to sustain that. Um, and then, so I started my business in 2007, and the first year was awesome, and I was getting jobs, and it was crazy, and then the economy took a hit, Sure. and my business took a major hit, and it was uh, eye-opening and scary, because there was no paycheck coming in, it was, I was having to create jobs out of nothing and get money to come in and go sell myself, you know, and so, ended up having to pick up other side jobs bartending again through that time. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of highs and lows through that, but I just stuck with it. Yeah. I had seen what was there and what could be and, and just kept going. So, um, but yeah, I would say it's still a, it's always going to be that way. There, you're still going to have those times and those moments and um, it's not always coming in you yeah. know it's always a constant push and a constant drive that you have to have so gotcha yeah gotcha so so you do have to have that constant passion or, or something else that you're pursuing um and why i'm continuing to do the business that i have you yeah. know it's really backing my other creative too yeah. so i always i go through these 
highs and lows, like why am I doing this every day? Is it really fulfilling a bigger purpose in my life or, you know, yes, I make these places look nice and a corporate office look cool for people to walk into, but at the end of the day, is that really fulfilling me? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's a constant kind of battle in that yeah. and struggle in that. And so um, I continue to pursue my own creative, which is constantly evolving. I want to start doing new things and other things. And then like kind of a lot. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, yeah. So, oh man. So I'm into a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I love to create and paint, but I also love to cook. Okay. So it's like a giant creative for me. It's a creative outlet for me. Yeah. So I actually went through this big, like last year, all of last year, trying to figure out what makes me excited. Yeah. Like what really makes me like get giddy. Yeah. And like I listen to a lot of Alan Watts and I do a lot of like reading. I get into a bunch of different things to like really try and find a purpose or excitement in yes. life. Yes. So I constantly listen to one of his messages and it's like what makes you tick like what makes you excited and so I was going through this whole thing of what is it that truly makes me excited and how could I make that a business yeah like where I would wake up every day and be really excited yeah because not every day if I'm waking up to go hang pictures I mean it's great and it has a part of creative in it or if I'm designing a space but it's for someone else and it's not always that fun (laughs) you know there's deadlines and all kinds of stuff and so I was trying to figure it out. So I categorized everything I'm into, which is kind of a lot of different things, but I think I figured it out. Okay. <laughs> Again, share, so, share with class if you feel comfortable. Okay. You're being I, a little vague over there, Leslie. I have a, okay, I have a dream. <laughs> I have um, a dream. I love nature and yeah. I love cooking and I love people. Yes. I love good conversations um, and travel. Yes. And I love entrepreneurs. So I was like, how can I make this a thing where it's a business and something I would love to do? So one of my favorite places to visit is Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Yes. Um, As a kid, I learned to ski there and I love to go camping there. And so I am now working towards a place in Pagosa Mm -hmm. where over the next few years, I'm going to build some really cool and design these modular spaces on the land. And it's going to be a retreat for entrepreneurs, creatives, people who are creating inventions or um, like a group of creatives that would come if you were making a film and y'all could have an escape there in nature. Yeah. But it's more of a curated place. So a lot of times I like to get away and clear my head and go out. Like I work all the time. It never turns off when it's yours, you know? It yeah. just never turns off. So when I escape, I like to go and take a time out. And then a lot of times when, after a few days of being by myself, you wanna get out and be around other people and have good conversation, but when you're not always around like-minded people, yeah. you know? And so it's really about having those conversations that mean more, um, that are deeper conversations that lead to, um, bigger things and collaboratives and things like that. So I want to curate the space so that the people that are staying there are like-minded. So you would travel there, be able to have an escape, but maybe say a chef 
and an architect meet there and um, you know they realize they would have never met before mm -hmm. and so um, it's just a place that I would love I can do it forever and meet people and walk out in the morning and and uh, meet new people and share all those things in one place so yeah that's one of my future things that's yeah. I think it it so you've already bought the it, place or are you so it's in the process it? okay I've traveled there. I've been looking at the land. I'm, I should be going back this fall to purchase land, which is like crazy. Yeah. That's like an adulting. But then I realize I'm an adult. Like it freaks me out. Yes. Because I still feel like I'm 19 and I'm I'm not. <laughs> I think I think that's a lot of a lot of artists is, for whatever reason, because we never became our yuppie counterparts. Uh, we never fully became comfortable in the khaki pants and doing this handshake on the golf course or whatever. That's like the guy version of that. Uh, because that never became part of our persona mm -hmm. in, in our own minds, then I don't think that we ever fully associate ourselves with mom and dad, with whoever mm -hmm. the adults are in our minds. Uh, so we thought, oh, well, I haven't changed. I'm not that guy, so I must, I must just be a kid still. I don't know. That's my, it's my take on that. Every day, I deal with. I I have these meetings with CEOs, and I I get dressed, and I'll be in the boardroom, and and I I just feel really young, and I'm not supposed to be there, and and then I'm the one that they're hiring to do their big jobs, and yeah. it's just, I still find it very strange. Yeah. Um, You're getting even even money, like I remember getting paid certain amounts of money in a, in a job. I'm like, why are they paying a ten year old? Five thousand dollars. Like crazy. that's. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a lot of candy yeah. with this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go see movies with this money. You know I'm gonna go buy toys. Like my my version of toys today is like camera equipment. But yeah. But you get it. You get it. It does. There's a there's imposter syndrome. I feel like that that is common. Totally. I feel artists. like I'm in character. Yes. I I go through this daily to where. I had to give a big speech. I was invited to talk about being a curator for one of my clients. And I just remember, and the way I get through that, I get really nervous talking and I get like really weird and nervous and sweaty and very uncomfortable in front of people. Can you tell? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Go check no. her sweat levels over there. <laughs> um, but it's, a little shiny. Am I? A little shiny. Oh, no, you're get fine. my powder. No. Um, so I, I go into another character. Yeah. I, I just walk in and pretend like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's the fake it till you make it whole thing. It's yeah. been my whole career. Sure. I think I'm, I mean, I'm still doing it. Sure. The very beginning of your, your business, I'm curious about this. I'm always curious about the, the origin of, yes. of, you know, whatever, whatever successful person. Uh, who did you initially sell to? You know, once you made your LLC or whatever, business that you made and you have that all legally done uh did you did you go to people that you'd sold paintings to did you go to family did you go to friends did you just start cold calling businesses and say this is what i do how did that begin so well i had a little taste of this business because right when i finished school i did get a job with another firm okay um, I had no idea what an art con consultant was. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. Um, yeah. I was just looking to do anything that was in the business of art. I was looking to work in a gallery or um, whatever that was out there. So I found found this job. Yeah. 
started working for them and it was it is a sales job you yeah. know it was more you go in you cold call yes which was horrible <laughs> I, I agree. so i was cold calling every morning um but from that i learned how to reach a client yes in in the business that i do now and yeah. so as much as I hated it, I learned a lot from that. Mm -hmm. um, but it really, with that company, it wasn't the way I wanted to do business. I didn't feel comfortable in that role. Um, and I knew that if they could do it, I could do it. It's kind of that, I feel that way in life. I just feel like if anyone's capable of doing something, so am I. And anyone, sure. you know, it's all about belief in that and just trying and going after it. Yeah. Um, and again, that whole like, not fearing the failure, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, it makes me sad. Like, it sounds weird, and I don't want to come off wrong because I always feel like it comes off weird. Like, I don't have a fear of failure. Yeah. I just don't have that feeling. I don't know what that is. I just think you just try something different or no, like try it, something new. It it makes complete sense to me because I I was just talking with a friend about making making my film, and mm -hmm. you know, he's like I. I could never do that just because mentally I couldn't ever make that first step. It's, it is too scary. And I guess you and I share this in common of like, if somebody pointed a gun right at our heads, so long as we felt that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing, it'd be like, kill me if you yeah. must, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't scare us. Uh, so long as we feel, feel the purpose. Right. Uh, but, uh, if we're not fulfilling the purpose, then we kind of want somebody to, to kill us. Uh, not, not actually, not to get too dumb. <laughs> no, really. Um, okay. But, but yeah, uh, basically to say we, we don't, we don't see why we're on this earth in, right. the, in those moments. Like I'm, I'm literally wasting my existence right now, just doing that other thing that a bunch of other people could be doing. Right. I don't know. You kind of have to like be a little bit, of a shithead narcissist and say, yeah, I have something special in me. And that's why I should, that's why I'm doing this special thing. The special film. The special thing. So I'm going to ask you. Yeah. And flip this on you kind of with your film. Yes. Um, kind of what is driving you behind the purpose of, of the film and, and the meaning behind it. Well, I was just talking with my parents about this and I really think with this movie, I was, I mean, I care about the story. I care about the characters. It's a very personal film to me. Uh, the writing process was a very organic, inevitable one in that I didn't really have to think of like a movie idea. I just kind of thought about things that I had either experienced or other people that I knew had experienced or things that I saw in the culture. Uh, and I, I do take a lot of joy in kind of, I think, revealing things that nobody's mm -hmm. had the balls to reveal yet. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that Glow has that honesty in there that a lot of movies don't. Uh, but ultimately what I'm most excited about with Glow and what drove me with this movie is aesthetics. It is uh, an experiment in, in cinema in a way, particularly with the writing of the movie. And I'm very passionate about both of those things, about not only telling new stories and putting new characters in a movie that you haven't seen before or being able to talk about certain things that everybody's been too scared to talk about. Like mm -hmm. that gets that gets me excited. You talk about what gets you excited. I know that that, you know, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll wake up for that, you know, any day of the week. Uh, 
But then what also gets me excited is the medium of cinema itself. And I feel like without getting too rah-rah about it, I feel like it's kind of dying. I feel mm -hmm. like it is becoming more and more and more of the same thing, or at least, you know, maybe we have nine things now in cinema. And if it's not one of those nine things, then people aren't interested. And mm -hmm. I think that that's dangerous. And so I, to wrap up my long-winded explanation, I, I really felt passionate about let's make a movie that you've never seen before in terms of the structure of it. Mm -hmm. and, and Glow's structure is completely crazy and people that watch it, I think, won't know what to make of it just because mm -hmm. they will say, With, but it doesn't follow the rules that it's mm -hmm. supposed to follow. And that, again, gets me excited that people will be befuddled and not know what to, to make of it. But then if they enjoy it, then I feel like I will have prove, proven my point in saying, see, you can like new things. You just gotta right. have an artist bother to go through the pain and suffering to, to make something new and to get it out to you. And keep pushing. And to keep pushing. No, it's good. Bravo to you, because it's very hard. Yeah. You know, that's another part of this world, I think, that our world that we're in is being mm -hmm. a creative that's like going after something and you're so passionate about it that you're going to push through no matter what is kind of that back side of it. Yeah. I know, I don't know if you go through this, but you know, a lot of people that work there eight to five jobs or whatever, you know, they're like, Oh, you're so lucky. You know, you get to do that and you're following your passion or making movies. Oh, it must be awesome. Yeah. Or whatever it may be for you. I'm not sure people, how people say, or things. they think you're crazy and, Good luck with that, but either way. Or they think you're a complete bullshitter and they go, oh, you're a filmmaker. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so and they is, give you zero credit so for So is my nephew. Yes. Yeah, he's got his little iPhone. Yeah, it's great. No, yeah. I completely understand. Yo, you do, you do some watercolors? It's like, That's oh, cute. you draw? That's really nice. Oh, she paints on walls, you know, or... Yeah. I always get the line like, oh, you're an artist. It's awesome. I can't draw a stick figure. I think I've heard it like a million times. I'm like, awesome, me neither, actually. People make porn jokes. People that. make porn jokes with me. They go, Are you a filmmaker? Yeah. You're like, Oh, you make porn? And I'm like, That's what you do on the side to back the film. <laughs> Just watch the episode, Leslie. <laughs> I talk all about this. It's going to flash don't forward worry. to something. Don't worry, some other mom. Part. Don't worry. Sorry, mom. Nothing. Sorry, mom. <laughs> nothing that bad. A couple bad things, but not that bad. It's awesome. I did, uh, to talk about funny, funny jobs that you have to do to support yourself, I have many of them. Uh, and I reference one of them. I, I did work Lady Gaga concerts. They put wings on me. Really? I worked five concerts. I did that. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, I really like her as I've a creative, been, by the way. <laughs> she's, she's an, she has an amazing voice. Uh, mm -hmm. I really didn't even know what she was. I mean, I'd heard the name and I'd heard Let's Dance, but I didn't know what she was. And I, okay. I actually snuck yeah. in. I snuck into the concert one night just because I was like, I'm working these concerts. I might as mm -hmm. well see the show. And I, I was, after we were done and I took off my wings and I looked like a normal person with just black pants on and everybody else looked super flamboyant and uh -huh. gay. Uh, and so I was the only person that was just dressed normal. I try and, and you know, go on to the floor to watch the show and mm -hmm. the guy stopped me and I didn't have a ticket and then I just I didn't lie I just literally pointed at the sound booth in anger and he he got flustered and was like Ugh! and he let me awesome. through so I saw that so I showed the show and she was great uh but yeah weird weird little jobs like that that's a nice 
Nice and little side job. <laughs> Did you I, get paid a lot for wearing wings? <laughs> yeah, I got paid good. a good amount of money for wearing wings. Wasn't life-changing, but good amount of money. Uh, what else have you done? Oh, dude, so much. So much. I mean, I do a lot of marketing now, so it's like every okay. single week almost is a different different little adventure and sometimes it is kind of boring or corporate-y and usually those are the best paying ones but um, the best pay you either have to be boring and corporate-y and, and dress up with the tie just like a normal person mm-hmm. or you do have to be uh shameful and you know write a little note to your mother saying i'm sorry you know yeah. like the gaga gig uh <laughs> i i've i've dressed up as tarzan one time uh, for for a baby shower. Awesome. Did that off of Craigslist. No. I, I had my my friend Sam in college say, "Hey, listen, drop me off. I didn't have a car. You drop me off at this house if I'm if I'm dead in in two hours from now. You I mean you know who to you know call the police on these people? But they paid. They paid. You know, I think they gave me a twenty five dollar tip. So, wow. For wearing That's a little, little, little loincloth. Well, At a baby shower? It was a baby. It wasn't even a bachelorette it's really, party. It's really it, creepy. It wasn't even a bachelorette party. <laughs> exactly. It's like the baby's already in there. Why are we creating this like sexual environment really by awesome. like oh i guess maybe to encourage other women at the party to to have babies i don't <laughs> i don't know nobody even flirted with me it was very boring i, I was kind of flattering myself going into it like i got hired for a reason i'm in I'm really good shape right now and uh and then everybody kind of go oh at the you know when i greeted them at the door but then yeah nobody was like hey there tarzan like <laughs> no. it was pretty much just like hey yeah thanks for the drink Thanks for the drink. Were you serving drinks? Yeah, I was. That's so awesome. So all of your side jobs have been you in costume. Is it, do you no, like that? Again, it's definitely, definitely not. I've done plenty of normal yeah. things too, but I'm just, I'm just, you know, trying to trying to make it out to be. I'm like so interesting and exotic and just great, great, just great, great. Have you have you done awesome. weird stuff? I mean, I'm sure b- bartending. Weird you have a lot of stuff. weird weird stories being a bartender. I've but done some weird stuff. Well, I just Ooh, uh, I don't know if it's told my for this interview. My I'm just kidding. bottom stories. You know, bottom. if I ever go to AA, you know, I'll be like, it all started You're gonna with, have to with Tarzan. Oh man, yeah. Bottom stories. Um, I have like a really low point story. Perfect. Where things were like Perfect. the worst of my life. Just pretend we're on Delilah, <laughs> and you're the caller, and be like, "Hey, Delilah." Hey, Delilah. Yeah. Hey, Delilah. Delilah. Yeah. There we go. I used to listen to that all the time. After I did nine. around Christmas time. It's very when emotional. It was, it was late at night, and a lot of depressed people looking to kill themselves. Yeah, it's very sad. Or it's like Sleepless in Seattle, and there's like love stories. No. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I I've heard a Maybe couple I just of those too. <laughs> Maybe you just imagine those. So sad I sit in my car alone listening. Right. Um, low point. No, low Give me point. Your low point. Oh, man. So, my low point was like four years in yeah. to running this business. Uh, so, I'd moved to Austin. Yes. For a boy. For a boy. For a boy. And I moved there, and I was going to expand my business there. And. Things were not good mm. in Austin Yeah. for my business, for what I do. And were things good with the boy? And then things weren't good with the boy either. Okay. Everything just really went downhill uh, when I went there. And Austin's my favorite town, and it, it was the worst year of my life. Mm. 
and it was very sad and depressing and I felt like the biggest failure ever and I was alone away from my friends and like I couldn't go out in town because it was everywhere where we used to go and like I knew I was gonna run into everyone yeah and it was just very very dark time yeah. and um, I wasn't getting jobs yeah and the only job I could get in Austin for side business was I was working in another bar in Austin it was like a bar I would never hang out in and I hated being there and it was horrible people that ran the place but it's like all I could do yeah and I remember I was there I'd been running this business that was successful for a few years then I just hit rock bottom it was no jobs were coming in I had a lot of bills my relationship was doomed and I looked up and I had $15 in my name nice. with rent due and that really was kind of a gut check, you know, and I think that's in all of us when it comes to being driven or entrepreneurial or following something, it's like you're going to figure out a way. It's like I'm going to figure out a way to make this work and I don't know what it is, but it's, I have to make some money, okay? Yeah. So one of the worst times is um, I wasn't wearing wings. <laughs> I was actually, I drove around Austin um, dumpster diving for furniture mm -hmm. and I would go and get the furniture and then I would paint it or like make it look cooler, clean it up and sell it on Craigslist. And so I was doing that for a long time to make extra money to like barely make my rent Yeah. and then working this other job and I had to do that for a while. I was living off of ramen and hot pockets. Nice. But it was lean pockets, so I felt I was being healthier. <laughs> it was a very horrible time. But I learned that um, HEB has cheaper ramen. It's only 17 cents there, and it that was, was the 19 life cents. Yeah, yes. it was. It was great. I was budgeting really well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for some time, um, and then just realized that I sh probably shouldn't stay in Austin. Yeah. And I realized things weren't gonna work out and it, it was time to move back. And that was also a very humbling experience because you know, I started a job here, it was going good, my business was good here, I was gonna transfer there to be with guy, move cities, and everything fell apart. And then I was like coming home with my tail tucked and like everything failed and here I come back home, you yeah. know. Um, but I learned a lot from that experience and coming back to Dallas, I'm very thankful that I'm back here just because for creatives here, there's so much opportunity mm -hmm. and the growth of the city here and, and the direction it's going creatively has been really great. Yeah. So I feel very lucky to have been been back here and it's it's been great ever since, but that was probably the- It was a deep dark. The darkest time, um, but it pushes you. And, and that's another thing that'll, drives me is that I know I'll never get to that point again you know that's something that that drives me daily of, of following my passion and knowing how to keep going after it and not just think oh it's going to come to me yeah you know yeah so cool so w the question that I ask in, in every show it's part of the premise of the show creation is crazy uh you know it entails this idea that creation is is unnatural it's insane and that I feel like is is the little voice that's in your head or it's the voice of other people around you saying you're you're in, you're a nut mm -hmm. you're a nut for trying to use that power even think that you have the power to create 
what's the little voice in your head that says, don't create, you can't create, uh, what makes you not want to do it? It makes me not want to do it? Yeah. Oh. Because um, I feel like the voice telling you to do it, really do it, really that inspirational, come on, it's, it's in a way more rare than the, the resistance, which is always there. Yeah, I think, I think more that voice of like, not doing comes from like social surroundings. Mm. I, I think your peers and from family, yeah. and that's such a heavier voice because that's truly what you relate to. Um, I think my biggest um, hurdle or obstacle like throughout this whole time of me doing this has really been feeling relatable. Okay. I, I constantly have this conversation with either friends or people where I just feel like I don't have a lot of people I relate to. Yeah. When it comes to conversation, I feel I'm, this is going to come off wrong and again, creative and we have, our, our minds are weird and my, I have all these voices in my head all the time that are yeah. pulling me in all different ways or ideas or whatever, but it's, it's you're not, um, through conversation, you're not stimulated. Okay. I, I think there's in, in daily conversation and, and a lot of time, I mean, I'm 32 now. Most of my peers are either, you know, they're married or have kids or work a nine to five job. And, and it's just a different life. It's a different path and none of it's right or wrong. But yeah. I think there's, there's a place where that is the voice sometimes that makes me feel, is this what I need to be doing? Because it becomes very lonely. Yeah. A, a place so you kind of fight that as if maybe if I wasn't doing this I would kind of be normal and be more be able to relate to people easier and feel um, like I had a bigger peer group or or social circle in yeah. that way I mean some people look at me and think like I have a bunch of friends and like I'm very social but I'm truly not it, it that's very much of assumption through social media um, because it's very much a, a very solo lifestyle. Yeah. It's in your head. It's at night. It's all hours. You're working your brain. That voice is going. But you're, I think that's the battle for me. You're writing when you're not writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, I mean, I, I told you what gets me excited about mm -hmm. my profession. Uh, I'm actually passionate about a specific medium and seeing that medium evolve and develop into something cooler and better and, and more extravagant or more honest uh, as time goes on. And I, I'm basically, I don't think that cinema's done and I wanna make sure that, that that's actually the case. And I feel like I can have a part in that. Mm -hmm. What gets you excited? What inspires you to create in whatever medium? Uh, yeah. And keep pushing that. Um... I think I'm still trying to figure that out. Okay. I, I, I think I, it's in me to create. Yes. It's the way my mind works uh, in all areas, kind of. I don't know if I've, I've figured out my niche. I don't know if that's happened yet. Let me ask you this. What's, what's your favorite thing that you've ever done? Like either, either the thing that you're most proud of or even just the thing... That, that other people responded to, and you, you, you know, it's very gratifying to get that response. 
Can you think of an example? Oh man. Um, well, I guess the latest thing, <laughs> it like just happened. Facebook? I think, yeah. Okay. So I think it's, it gives me credibility. Well, it's explain, like, it, explain it's super, that super bizarre because that that's what are... happens. Um, yeah, what, what did happen? So it's weird. Uh, so I just landed uh, a project for my own art, my own weird style. Um, Facebook selected me to do the giant mural for their new headquarters in their lobby. Which is crazy. In Fort Worth. Ah. In Fort Worth. Yeah, that's awesome. It's crazy. Uh, I think what's funny is until it's recognizable for something that I've done for everyone to notice mm -hmm. and I think it, this has been one of the biggest things that's happened with where people recognize okay now you're you're an artist okay or now we're, we're gonna give you credibility because this person has given you credibility well maybe I shouldn't and have I think it lumped that into the question then because that doesn't <laughs> sound like exactly what I asked I what's what's been the most gratifying for me? to you okay yeah, your favorite thing but I am glad that you got to plug the whole Sorry. I'm doing Facebook thing. No, you, do, you can take that out. Right. I probably won't. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know if it was like the most like, I feel like I've now been recognized. Okay. No. Your It's personal gratification is what you mean. That's I was taking it the other way as most Yeah, recognized. that's what I'm saying. Like okay. you said you're still figuring it out. I'm and still I'm trying. Out. I'm trying to be your little art shrink over here and help you figure it out. Um... Man, I don't know. This is hard on the spot. Sorry, okay. hold on. I can think about it for a minute. I'm gonna keep talking just so we don't have dead air while you're thinking about it. No, I know. I is it uh, is it beauty? Is it just again aesthetics? Is it you love to look at specific things or a specific style? Just the way that something looks mm -hmm. is very important to you. I you know or or is it specific meaning behind certain pieces and people reacting to that in certain ways? Does does that get you excited? Yeah. Uh, is it, again, talk about your little Colorado Lodge, an experience that you're delivering to people, something that uh, you're basically giving people a specific time mm -hmm. in their lives. And in a way that like that's the art piece is right. the experience itself. Like, I think um, the moment for me or the moments that I've had where I think it's been all together my experience of what I've gone through as an artist and and being able to share that with someone and and push them to follow that I think that really drives me and I get gratification from that um, and being able to someone that I'm close to if they have a passion or something and and sharing like what and pushing them along that journey too yeah. that becomes very gratifying yeah but in the realm of creating um, and when I'm painting, I lose time. So it, it's something that happens um, when I'm working and creating in my space where I lose time and don't really know what I'm doing when I'm creating. Like I'll go up to a canvas um, or a large piece and I just start working and yeah. things just start coming out and I completely lose time. Yeah. And then I'll step back and then it kind of reveals kind of a story or what the subject matter is going to be and I continue that on. And so I think when I have people enjoy that piece, yeah. when I've had a show and people can really relate to that, I think that's the moment of gratification where it's truly me that I'm showcasing. Yeah. Um, because in my business, 
um, sometimes, you know, it's not truly me that I'm showcasing. It's doing something for the client that makes them happy. But I, yeah. I think that that moment comes when someone else can see it and appreciates when you. it's truly you, every every inch of it. Yeah. So I would say sure. that. That was very long-winded and kind of off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Self-expression. Great. All right. Yes. Next time somebody answers or asks you that question, then you can just be like, self-expression. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll make it really easy. All right. This. Cool. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. And uh, do you have any any plugs that you want to talk to the camera? Just tell people where they can follow you or okay. see your work or anything. Cool. Um, well, thank you for having me too. And um, yeah, you can look on my website, lovelymarshall.com, for my personal stuff. And articulationart.com is my business site, so you can check out both stuff. Cool, cool. And uh, you can follow me at Andrew H. Allen. You can follow the progress of Glow at Glow Movie. And follow Studio Loco at L Studio Loco, E-L Studio Loco on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leslie, once again, thanks for coming on. Thank Great. You. And uh, we will see you when we see you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.